Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm here today with Lance Kramer. Lance is the executive director and co-founder, along with his brother Brandon, of DC-based production company Meridian Hill Pictures. Their latest picture is called City of Trees, which was the official selection of the 2016 Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. It was also nationally broadcast on PBS through their series America Reframed, and was released on Netflix in May 2017. Thanks for joining me today, Lance. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, uh, really honored to be here. So, uh, Lance, let's talk about City of Trees. I, I actually just finished watching the film last evening. I thought it was tremendous. It really had an interesting look at the community in the Ward 8 area of Washington, D.C. Talk to our listeners about the premise of what City of Trees is and uh, what you're going for as a producer so we started making the film back in 2010. We didn't necessarily know we were making the film in 2010, but it, that process uh, emerged at that time. And basically what, where the film was kind of born out of was that my brother and I had just within literally weeks started our production company, Meridian Hill Pictures, uh, the fall of 2010. We had moved into a building in Northwest D.C. called the Josephine Butler Park Center. Um, we were interested in telling stories about the community in which we were living in um, and the surrounding you know, neighborhoods in, in Washington, D.C. We were particularly interested in ways that people were navigating the economic crisis um, at the time. And felt like there was kind of a lack of personal storytelling that dealt with the human side of the recession and the recovery. And we were interested in developing the craft of documentary filmmaking. And I say developing because admittedly at that point, you know, we had never made a film. We had been trained. My brother had been to film school and I had studied film at school, but we had never made a short or long form film. But we wanted to, and we had a vision or an idea about how we wanted to do that. But we didn't necessarily have, you know, a story um, that we were, like, itching to tell in particular. And we certainly, I don't think, had an agenda or, you know, one message that we were trying to convey. Um, and what happened was that um, upon moving into the building, we got to know Washington Parks and People, which is the organization that owns the building to Josephine Butler Park Center and also has um, offices there. We came to befriend Steve Coleman, who is the executive director of Washington Parks and People, and um, was very casually um, got invited to check out uh, one of the first work sites that Parks and People um, was working on through their new program, the D.C. Green Corps, which was a program that had been started under a grant through the um, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, which is more commonly known as the stimulus, the Obama stimulus. And, you know, like we were, I'd like to think we're still curious, but we were really curious at that time in just throwing ourselves into situations and learning new things 
uh, um, you know, about the about the city and and certainly the way that Steve had kind of framed the um, Green Corps and the work that they were doing, um, like met a lot of our curiosity along the lines of what I was just describing. And so we uh, came out to um, this community garden in um, Columbia Heights that they were building out of a space that was once a vacant, you know, dumping ground behind in an alley. Uh, we came to just start talking to people who were in the Green Corps. We met Charles Holcomb, who, um, if you've seen, you know, you've seen the film, winds up being a primary participant in the film. But we met him that day on a whim, just through talking to people randomly in the in the garden. Um, we talked to Steve more and learned more about the organization and the work that they were attempting to do. And it was almost like right away, in those handful of conversations, we felt like there was this beautiful work that was being done. All of that kind of added up towards an immediate feeling of uh, caring a lot for the people, wanting to understand more about what people were going through, what they were trying to accomplish, um, and see if there was some way that um, documenting that process would be useful. You know, a lot of things happened over those five years, but um, there was kind of a snowball effect where we started with making a short film, actually two short films that were you know, quote unquote, independent, but they're very small, you know, almost like vignettes mm -hmm. that we made on our own about people in the Green Corps. Then we pitched the idea to Parks and People to actually train the trainees in the program, how they could make their own stories using documentary filmmaking. And so we actually kind of stepped into the program itself as facilitators and almost like broke the third wall put cameras in the hands of the trainees and they shot, produced, edited these really wonderful short participatory films. So you said this, the film actually started out from a couple of short films. What was the original length or runtime for those films? I think the first film, Community Harvest, was maybe like eight minutes long. We did another short that was maybe six minutes long. And then we did these say we, my brother and I, and then there were four short films that that the various groups of Green Corps trainees made, and they varied probably from 8 to 13 minutes long. This is whenever you were doing the train, after the train, the trainer? Yeah, yeah, where basically they had, you know, created these, you know, participatory media projects. Um, and then there was two shorts that we made after those. And then there was the film. And maybe those shorts all happened over the course of the first you know, year and a half, two years, something like that. We didn't have a process before. So we were figuring out what that process was with City of Trees. Um, the guideposts that we wound up using, um, I think, wound up being um, rooted in, like, who did we care about? Who... Who did we find that we could really connect with? Um, who did we find was receptive and open to the idea of being on camera and allowing, you know, our small crew, but still our crew nonetheless, into their lives? Who got the film or got the mission of the film, what we were all trying to accomplish? Like, who could be an advocate for the film in the sense that, you know, if we were filming with them, in their community or in their home 
and a neighbor has a question or is upset about the fact that there's cameras in the neighborhood, like, are they going to side with the neighbor or are they going to speak up for the film and say, hey, I'm a part of this and this thing is important and be an advocate and an ally for the film? Um, and people who, you know, were prepared to be vulnerable. You know, I always say that, like, the film is a sliver of what we experienced and what we documented. And um, there's there's a lot more out there, you know, beyond it. But that's one of the constraints of, you know, having all this material and trying to, you know, package a story in, you know, a relatively bite-sized, you know, amount of time. So do you think that the format of the film and, and the length of the film is dictated by the sense of urgency in telling the story and the fact that the story needs more time to play out in order for it to be received accurately? Or do you think it's more about fitting a convention that films are typically an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours max, and then submitting it to meet those requirements, you know, for film festivals and things? You know, if I had to be honest, I'd say it's probably a combination of both because you are, I think by default, uh, stepping into some sort of or accepting some sort of convention by saying, we're going to make a movie. Right. A movie is a convention. Like, we didn't come up with the idea that there's going to be, you know, a linear story that's told, you know, on a captured on a camera and told on a screen. And, you know, it's going to try to be on a TV. Like, all those things are conventions that exist yeah. and being festivals, like all that. Um, so you are trying to in a sense, I think, fit into those conventions because it's proven that those are um, either mediums or uh, like channels that exist to reach people. And they've been refined over a period of time. And they've been proven to mostly work really well. So you're not trying to reinvent all the wheels. But I think within some of those conventions, like the idea, okay, we're going to make a movie then you're also not trying to allow, you're trying your best to not allow conventions to then dictate the actual form of the, you know, piece itself. Um, so you're trying to then just make sure that you're staying as true as you're capable of to the relationships that you've built, to the the moments that you've witnessed and documented in, you know, in front of your camera, in front of your eyes, and then allowing, you know, what you've, observed to drive the way that you construct the story itself rather than having this kind of top-down approach that hey we have this big idea of this story we want to tell or this idea that is really important for us to you know get to an audience and then that dictates the whole process but rather it's like okay we we ultimately want to make a movie but what is it that we're feeling from the material that is driving it and honestly that's why, um, at least for us, you know, making the movie took so long because we wrestled with a whole lot of things. The question, and the question that you're asking about, like timeliness, is is I think a good one in the sense that we wanted to make one movie that could exist not just in 2015, but two years later, ten years later, it could it's still the same movie. And not the type of thing that we rushed to, you know, get out for a certain arbitrary deadline um, to, you know, serve some sort of purpose. But we just knew that 
when you make these types of films, you're going to sit with it for a whole long period of time. And it's not just going to affect our lives, but it's going to affect the lives of the people who are in the film. And um, certainly you hope the people who see it. So it's like you really then want to push yourself as far as you can to make a film that you can live with and that is responsible um, and can stand the test of time, you know, withstand changes in the city, withstand administrations, withstand all sorts of things that you can't predict. My question was also looking at it from the standpoint that formats seem to be changing and evolving in all kinds of media. If you look at, you know, music, for instance, music uh, now is released by the single. It's no longer, you know, an artist recording for an album. Netflix has changed how we consume media. They don't do weekly releases of TV shows. Usually there's a whole bunch of them dropped at the same time where there's 12 episodes and people are encouraged to binge watch them or watch them in their own leisure. And even just what they've done for the narrative kind of documentary film making community, I think, is, has changed how um, documentaries are told now. So uh, what other trends do you see that are emerging from documentary films right now? Because it seems like documentaries really are having a heyday in the sense that you're just seeing more of them being distributed by, by more companies now. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of part of that process of you know, like whatever you want to, whatever you want to, word you want to use, experimenting, like iterating, like testing uh, these different methods of storytelling, like making short films, working in a participatory, you know, media, arts, uh, education kind of uh, approach, uh, making a long form film, like all of those in a sense were like ways of us trying to understand what was the best way or the most effective ways to tell this story from a narrative perspective, but also looking at distribution and like different trends that are out there because it's really hard and in a lot of ways really impractical to both make and distribute a feature length documentary film. Um, it was seven years ago and I think it continues to be in a lot of respects. Um, so we were always trying to ask ourselves like, is that actually a good idea? Mm -hmm. Because it was a whole lot of time. It was a whole lot of money and it was a whole lot of like rejection on the distribution end and, just trying to constantly figure out, like, how do you get a long-form feature-length film out into the world, finished and then out into the world? We experimented with things, too, that were even further outside the, like, norm. Like We were a part of a hackathon at one point in 2012. But how does that work for documentary filmmaking? I'll tell you exactly. It was so sponsored by um, the Mozilla Foundation and Tribeca and a few other film institutions where they basically paled paired filmmakers, documentary filmmakers who are working on long-form, kind of quote-unquote traditional docs uh, with um, creative technologists who were, you know, more like pioneers in web development. And in this case, they were specifically people who had expertise working with video and HTML5, I guess kind of new at the time. And so they like put us in a room together for like 48 or 72 hours and they were like, make something that's web-based. Mm -hmm and nonlinear. So we actually took portions of the film and we came up with a concept for how you could get into certain moments of the film with characters from the film, people from the film, um, but in a nonlinear fashion that was designed for the web. So we, this was like, I think before Google allowed you to put video into a map, we kind of jerry-rigged Google Maps so that there was a way that you could 
navigate moments in the film or in the story, like through geolocated like time and space. So like pins on a map of the city, you could dive into a moment of the film. This is before we had finished the film, but you kind of see all the different places, the parks where different parts of the story take place and you can see a pin and the pin, when you click on it, instead of being a place, it's actually a person. You go in and you have like a moment. And so um, we made this like in a weekend. Mm -hmm. It was super hard to figure out. And um, we came out with this like prototype. We're like, wow, this is really kind of cool. And we showed it to people. Um, People agreed and they're like, hey, this is kind of cool. And there was nothing we could do with it. You know, there was really no, we applied to a few grants and we got rejected from them. Did they just not understand it or what, what happened there? I, I think that they understood it, but, you know, there's not a lot of money out there, at least like publicly, you know, in terms of like public funding or grants for these quote unquote like transmedia type or nonlinear type storytelling. And this is even pre-VR mm-hmm. um, really kind of exploding or AR. So um, it's like if you didn't, get in with those handful of small grantors or foundations, then you'd basically have to build it on your own. And it's like, I'm a filmmaker and I'm not even a filmmaker yet. I'm trying to learn how to be a filmmaker, let alone, you know, try to learn how to be a web developer or creative technology. I just don't, I don't know how to do those things. So it got stuck and it was like, this was as far as we could take it. It's a concept. It was useful as an experiment, but You know, we really like it's like it felt like the kind of market or the audience wasn't there um, because I don't even know where that would have lived had we been able to develop it further. And we didn't know how to do it well. And there wasn't the money there either to develop it or do it, make it well. So it's like the thing that we then would kind of always come back to is like, I think the thing that we can do well is make a movie. And that in and of itself is going to be hard enough. Sure. So if we can focus our efforts on how to make a the best possible film, which is kind of an old thing, it's not anything new, but we're trying, like, how can we just try to tell the best story through a traditional film? Let's just try to do one thing well and then just be comfortable stepping aside from some of the more, like, you know, innovative new ends of 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 like storytelling and maybe save that for other people to do do a good job in and then it, just doing that one thing well proved to be hard enough and then figuring out like how do you get a movie like into film festivals onto PBS public broadcast which is a more traditional space onto Netflix which is a newer space streaming like each one of those things is like super super complicated and you'd think it's like now Oh, it's so simple just to get a movie out there. You just upload it to YouTube or all of it is super hard, um, especially as an independent. So, um, you know, and I, and I still stay committed to even after all those experiences and all the cool things that people are doing with film, I'm still mostly interested in just old fashioned film. I found that I rather than getting, you know, drawn into doing more experiments like that, I feel like I'm just excited to make another movie. So talk to me about having your production company because that obviously provides some separation between you as a filmmaker and running the production company as a business. 
I mean, the show is DC Entrepreneur. We speak with entrepreneurs from all over the area uh, in the DMV region, talking about you know why they've decided to start their own businesses. Talk to me about being a business owner because you're the co-founder and executive director of Meridian Hill Pictures. Talk to me about what that's like having the production company. How that keeps your films focused, and how you balance the filmmaking side of things with the operation side. Um, at first, we didn't have any money. I mean, we didn't have an we didn't start the production company with a project in mind or like a big contract or a bunch of funding. So we really had to figure out what the business model would be for the production company. And what emerged was this kind of messy balance of working on our own independent work, wound up mostly taking the form of City of Trees, though we also have worked on other smaller independent films, um, trying to push those forward as aggressively as we could. And in the other waking hours, producing, you know, mostly short form um, client and commission based work for nonprofit organizations, public agencies, schools, getting paid for that work, and then using whatever resources that we had from that work where we were paid to help like fund and underwrite as best as possible the costs that were going into the independent projects. Yeah, so talk to me about that. So you're using commercial work to help subsidize doing these documentary film productions. Mm-hmm. Um, does the, the work, the commercial work, actually take priority then whenever you have a documentary feature also that's in production? Well, I should say that um, we've had to change that model mm-hmm. for one. So... Um, in short, or going back to, you know, the five, six years where that really was like the dominant model for us, I'd say that we didn't know how to prioritize at all. So let's talk about some of the productions that you have with Meridian Hill. There's Hard Earned, which is about living on minimum wage in the United States. Uh, there's a series called The Messy Truth, which was hosted by Van Jones of CNN, uh, about the 2016 election. Uh, Saba, which is about people in a town in uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, Project Sing, which is a group of seniors who get involved with community organizing. And then Voices from Within about the residents of St. Elizabeth's. One of the films I saw on your website that I thought really uh, was personal, uh, struck me as personal, was Kramer and Sons, which is about a butcher shop that's in Union Market that belonged to your family. Telling your own family stories, was that kind of like the, the impetus or start of doing documentary production, being able to tell your own stories and then lead that in telling other people's stories? Yes, not necessarily by design, but yes, I think that that uh, maybe in a de facto way has, has, has been the case because really the first the first film that my brother and I worked on as adults um, aside from the times when we were playing around with my parents' RCA, you know, video camcorder was what wound up being the basis or the genesis of Kramer and Sons, like interviewing my grandfather and his brothers. Um, we didn't necessarily know at the time it was going to become a film, which probably is now you're hearing is a familiar trope with documentary is like, oh, you didn't actually know it was going to be a film and then it becomes a film. So we didn't know that that's the road we'd be going down, but... Um, but, uh, yeah, we just started um, interviewing him about uh, his experience in the market where he worked pretty much his whole life, 
Um, and that kind of led down, you know, a whole line of inquiry towards, you know, basically trying to then learn more about not just his life, but his brother's lives and how the market um, wound up being this, you know, really kind of pivotal space in all of their development, not just career-wise, but in terms of their character building and 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 whatnot. And um, the film's not done. Uh, we've been working on it now. I've lost count. It's probably going on almost a decade. Uh, oh, so, so it's still a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. The There's a demo, 12 or 13-minute demo that's on our website, but it's not done. And that's been a... Uh, honestly, like a, a a sore point that, um, you know, it's taken so long to finish. My grandfather's not alive anymore. Two of his brothers have passed away since we started working on it. So there's just two left. But still, you were able to capture kind of the oral histories from them and, and talk about, you know, what life was like, you know, yeah. running, running that shop. And I think there's something to be said for that, just archiving, you know, a conversation that could have been lost to time, really. Yeah, and I'm I'm grateful that we we did that, and um, you know, it's kind of like uh, I think that where we're at with that film is almost similar to like what I you know described before with City of Trees. After we had gotten through those shorts, where it's like we 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 pushed and realized that there's a story there, but we didn't go as far as we wanted. We've wanted to thus far, and I know that there's a there's a story there and there's a film there. There's a movie there. It just doesn't exist yet. And so that's been like one of these, like, uh, you know, there's a little, it's like, I can feel my grandfather on my shoulder being like, Lance, when are you going to finish the movie? And <laughs> I, you know, it's, it, it's been hard. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the same has been true with project sing, which is a film we've worked on now for several years and it's unfinished. Um, so, you feel these things. We've been in people's lives for a number of years and we have all this material and there's relationships and expectations and there's not a finished film. And, um, you know, I sit with that and it's something that, you know, sometimes keeps me up at night, but it's also the reason why I get up in the morning and I try to just go to work and, and push it forward a little bit. So tell our listeners out there how they can find out more about Meridian Hill and your films. Uh, we have a website. It's meridianhillpictures.com. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, and recently, within the last year, we're on Instagram. Um, our film, City of Trees, has its own website, which is cityoftreesfilm.com. Um, it also has its own social media handles, and um, it's available to stream in a variety of different platforms as well. And uh, a lot of our films, you know, City of Trees, in some cases, you have to have subscriptions to some of the um, platforms, but a lot of our short films are available for free, um, either on our YouTube or Vimeo channel or on Facebook. So you can see a, a bunch of them, you know, license free and share them, repost them, etc. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode, and thanks for listening.